0: And we've been asked to announce that next week on Show of the Week, there'll be a competition to judge which goals of all the goals chosen on Match of the Day as Goal of the Month was this year's Goal of the Month of the Year. Send your entries to this address, Match of the Day, Goal of the Month of the Year, Goal of the Month, Match of the Day, Show of the Week, London.
1: This is our Everest. Greetings, Culture Vultures, and welcome to This Is Our Christmas Everest. A podcast featuring many, many stars.
2: A whole night's worth.
1: At the well, at the very least. Yeah,
2: it's Christmas night with the stars. Twenty fifth of December nineteen seventy two. And they both used to do this. The BBC used to what? do it, ITV used to as well.
1: I found one today that was made in 1994. So, obviously, this is something that... So,
2: you know. They've persisted. I with. don't remember it, but then the TV wasn't usually on much after lunchtime in our house on Christmas Day.
1: No, we're going to get to that story in one of the later episodes. Right. So, everyone everyone is now on tent hooks. Uh, it's, yeah. It is well worth waiting for because this slice of Ian's childhood is... It explains everything, as far as I was concerned. Does it now? In terms of stars that we're going to spend Christmas night with, yeah, they weren't they weren't messing around, were they? I mean, when you look at the stars that they had, and this is 1972, bear in mind, mm. Scylla, the Young Generation, Lulu, Mike Yarwood, the Liverbirds, the Goodies, and Dad's Army, as well as the two Ronnies. Now that's a lineup really is. Well, it? yeah.
2: I mean, it, it's interesting how they kind of build up to Dad's Army.
1: Yeah, that's obviously the star
2: turn. That gets a like 15 minutes, doesn't it? Something like that. It's an unsatisfying experience. <laughs> I think is the best way to describe it. And I think so. The my big takeaway from it ultimately was that the quality of the act in 30 minutes or over the course of a series or however long you want to define it is quite easily distilled into 15 minutes or even five. I enjoyed, for example, the Dad's Army sketch, not because it was particularly good or particularly funny, but because it's the Dad's Army cast. And every single one of them is a brilliant comedy actor. You could watch them using the telephone book as a script, and they would find a way of making it funny.
1: It's a bit like a a tasting menu in a posh restaurant, isn't it? You get a little bit of... a little yeah, specially made morsel of Dad's Army. You're not getting the full Dad's Army. Aside from the sort of little gobbets of um, the established stars doing their shows, Mm. uh, as well as Dad's Army, there's also a liver bird. Yeah. Insert, you do also have the sketches that have been done there, right there in the studio. Two Ronnie's. Yeah.
2: And they were very disappointing, really. Well, the thing is, I mean, the two Ronnie's bits can basically be divided into three, can't they? You've got them doing the news behind their desk. Yep. Which is...
3: As a special Christmas goodwill gesture, a well-known British petrol firm is offering an extended play gramophone record of American Indian ghost stories for only three new pence. Just ask for the BP3P Creepy (laughs) CreepyTPEP.
2: No different to the TV series. Nope. Then you had Ronnie Corbett sitting on a chair. Yeah. Doing his monologue bit. Yeah. Which wasn't particularly good, but I don't really think he'd refined it by that point. Because you got to bear in mind that he was still doing that 10 years later. Yeah. And by that time, he had it nailed down. I think this is probably quite near the beginning of when he was doing it.
1: Oh, I would think so, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen two Ronnies earlier than that. It, it yeah. can be a little bit deceptive, I suppose. You see the two Ronnies and they're sort of never changing. But this is quite early on in the whole To Ronnie's chronology. Yeah,
2: all the basic building blocks are in place. Uh, It took them a couple of years to fine-tune it. I mean, Ronnie Barker was famously a perfectionist, wasn't he? Crazy perfectionist. This this,
1: um, programme must have given him full-on willies, I would have thought.
2: Well, yeah, because it's live comedy and it's a different discipline, isn't it, you know?
1: Yeah, I suppose so. But I mean, it's just I was just a bit disappointed with the but because you associate the two Ronnies with the cream of the crop of all of the best
2: well, writers. Well, yeah. I mean, the the the, um, the thing is that where it really fell down was the sketches. Yeah. Because they felt half cooked.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the first one was about two people at a Christmas party who were both Clearly on PCP, I think. Yeah. Both suffering from dangerous levels of personal delusion.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, anybody who knows the two Ronnies will know that these kind of wordplay things and conversations, the famous mastermind answering the question from the before round thing. You know, that was a very big part of the two Ronnies. And that, I bit, I think is the bit which people remember kind of most, probably most fondly because a lot of it was very clever but this again is like a primitive version of that and it's just not working. It's two different people who've got kind of horrors of some description. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And they're both completely misinterpreting what each other say. Yeah. But it's just, it just doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't really hold together. I do love these insights into aspirational life in the early nineteen seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because just that little scene of like the way they're dressed and the furniture of this um, this set in this house is it just reeks of nineteen seventy two. You know, that's 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 the life that people aspired to in nineteen seventy two. So that's quite nice. But the sketch, it felt like I was waiting for a punchline. And it never really arrived. I mean, I've written down here that it wasn't a very good one, which implies that there was one. But there wasn't. But but I don't remember it. No, I mean,
1: there was a sketch later on with Ronnie Barker buying alcohol in an off-licence. Yes. I believe that the person who ran the off-licence was Sally James.
2: Ah, right, yeah.
1: That's got a punchline, but it's it's not a great punchline. And, of course, a lot of it is sort of the joy of language, isn't it? The different names yeah. for weights and measures of alcohol and,
2: and, and drinks. Um, well, it's, yeah, it's like phonetic humour, isn't and it? And then it's there's
1: like... an, a last sketch where Ronnie Barker is basically roughed up by a group of milkmen trying to get their Christmas yeah. box. Which, again,
2: lacking a punchline. Doesn't really work again.
1: Now... It's so strange. I mean, there is there are good things in here. I mean, as you say, the Dad's Army is, is pretty good. The two that particularly interested me were The Goodies and The Liverbirds, both of which are programmes I've never seen.
2: OK, well, I mean, The Goodies... Uh, we'll... we'll... I kind of want to gloss over a little bit because they're almost certainly going to turn up in this podcast at some point. But I can't get on with the goodies. I have tried about four or five
3: times
1: is it because they sort of fall between stalls where you're not sure if it's kids' program or not.
2: It's a little bit of that, yeah. And everything is a bit too slapstick. <laughs> a bit too wacky. You know my opinion on wacky. <laughs> and it just doesn't I've tried. I've you know, I've tried about 3 or 4 times. I'll put an episode on and I will sit through it and within about 10 minutes I'll be like it's no good. I don't get it. <laughs> and the thing is that my continually going back to give it another go is based entirely on the fact that that bloke died from a heart attack. From laughing too much <laughs> while the goodies was on, you the see TV that fascinates me
1: because you've already admitted in this podcast that when somebody gives an epilepsy warning, you look away, even though you are not somebody who suffers from epilepsy, yeah. Yeah. and yet you deliberately seek out trying to get into the goodies because somebody once dropped dead of a heart
2: attack because they were laughing so hard. But the thing is, they were popular. Oh, they were enormously popular. You know, that's the thing. They were popular and it wasn't just amongst kids. It was also with adults. Yeah. But I think that the difference between that and the other programmes that I love that kids love as well, because there's a lot of that in children's TV, There's a lot of kids' programmes which make jokes for the adults as well. Yeah. And that's standard practice nowadays, I think. Yeah. The reference to Donkey Kong in Hey Dougie will go over the head of a five-year-old. Yeah. But it won't go over the head of the five-year-old's parents. No. And that's just the way it is. But in this, you see, this is described as being for kids and adults as well. But they're kind of all laughing at the same thing. You know? Maybe you should... And that's the diff, That's the difference, and that's what I don't like about
1: Maybe it. you should switch your focus from getting into the goodies so you can understand how that man died of laughter, and focus instead on trying to be the first person in the UK to have a massive, fatal heart attack from laughing at an episode of Hey Dougie. It's
2: got well, to be possible. Is, all right. The thing with the goodies is that in the space of... I think it's less than five minutes. They've got this whole, it's funny because it's sped up thing going on.
1: Yeah, they've got a, a five minute instant Christmas going.
2: Yeah. Bill Oddie sexually assaults a woman twice. Once whilst holding a knife. Yeah, once whilst <laughs> holding a knife. and Was that while he was dressed as Santa or when he was not dressed as Santa? He could very remember. well have
1: been dressed as Santa at that point, yeah.
2: And they attack a street urchin with a hammer. A giant hammer.
3: Yeah.
2: I find myself thinking it can't be as bad as all that. I love a bit of Timbrook Taylor. I love a bit of Graham Garden. And I even love a bit of Bill Oddy.
1: Who doesn't love a bit of Bill
2: Oddy? Yeah. I just feel like there's a jigsaw and there's a piece missing and I don't but no. the trouble is I don't know what shape the piece is. It didn't
1: is. grab me either, but I mean I can understand how it, it might have grabbed people. In terms of it being family entertainment, there was quite a lot of scantily clad ladies.
2: Well, yeah. Um, So it was the 1970s. Of course. Like I say, you know, they they managed to fit two incidences of sexual assault and assault of a child into Mm -hmm. less than five minutes. I do think that there's a strong possibility my occasional goodies, indulgence is Now, over.
0: at a London store, a sandwich board man stopped work as a protest yesterday after he had heard that the store's Father Christmas had been given the sack. Now, after it had been explained to him that the, Christmas, the Father Christmas had to have the sack before he could start work, the sandwich man was given his notice. Now, this, in turn, angered the Father Christmas until it was explained that the Sandwich Man had to have his notice to carry around the streets. <laughs> Afterwards, the Father Christmas agreed to take the sack, providing he wasn't given his notice, and the Sandwich Man agreed to carry his notice, provided he wasn't given the sack. <laughs> <laughs> the Liver
1: Birds also interested me. Now, now um, I knew that The uh, Liver Birds was written by Carla Lane, but uh, I don't know what I was expecting, but it was so disarmingly classical Carla Lane immediately... Yes. You know, they're sat on the sofa, they're stuffed... Yeah. ...and they're f- they're sort of filled with remorse and existential dread.
3: Well, hey, Christmas Day. It makes me feel very sad. Oh, Sandra, now, come on, it's supposed to be the festive season. You're supposed to be joyful and happy and gay and... sick. What <laughs> <laughs> is? but I can't stop thinking about poor people and hungry children dead turkey.
1: This chronic over-analysis of
2: minutiae. Yeah, and there's, an, there's, there's this undercurrent of melancholy. Very much. I mean, you know, these young women are supposed to be in what their early 20s, mid-20s? Presumably. I looked up how
1: old they both actually were. Okay, go on. And they they were both actually 31 Yeah, at the they were. So I would guess that in TV world, that's probably means they were meant to be in their early to mid-twenties.
2: Yeah, I don't think the characters were over 30. They wouldn't be like that if this was an American sitcom. No. If they were in their mid-twenties and, you know, it's a revolutionary enough thing to be doing this sitcom about two women who live together and, you know, they're not even lesbians. <laughs> Rude.
1: I know. I mean, that 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 is surely... A
2: hell-bound relationship. Yeah. They live together and they're not even. Yeah, lesbians. they you know they have they have sex with men. I think that's implied. They're supposed to be having the time of their lives, and instead they're not. They're both having an existential crisis. It didn't feel very festive to me. They're
1: egging themselves on, yeah. through their existential crises, yeah, each each helping the other one develop new and more exciting paranoia. See, the
2: problem I have with Carla Lane is that. I don't think Carla Lane is quite intelligent enough to really understand those great metaphysical questions <sighs> and provide anything <laughs> insightful. So it always ends up sounding trite.
1: We should have had her on this podcast, really. She would have been absolutely ideal. You've got
2: them sitting there discussing life, the universe, and everything in the live of birds. You had the same thing going on with Butterfly, with this sort of, of, you know, cod self-discovery. And then in Bread, you had the kind of, what was his name? Was it Adrian, the poet one? Yeah. Each one of them, the words of wisdom that they actually came out with were were kind of trite. Whether they were meant to be and you were supposed to laugh at it or not. And I I, I don't know how much of that is Carl alone. Better to remain silent and be considered a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt.
3: Mr Heath said in a message to the nation tonight that he is still hoping for a settlement in the Cod War. He said, I think we would all like to start the new year with a solid and worthwhile Cod (laughs) peace."
1: Mike Yarwood, obviously, is on hand to provide a bit of um, cutting-edge current affairs content. Uh, he's basically doing a party around number 10 Downing Street. And the the thing that interests me is not necessarily the material, which is very sort of focused on you know, being for people who've just lived through the year 1972, yeah. which is not a problem that I've ever had.
2: Well, it, it, it only was for a quarter of it Fairly, for me. Yeah,
1: exactly. But what does interest me is who gets an impression now, obviously, Mike Yarwood is uh, your proper impressionist. Uh, it's not a, a question, where, as with uh, a Les Dennis programme, for example, mm. the, the person who gets an impression being the person who Les reckons that he can do, or failing that just immediate... I don't
2: really know. Well,
1: yeah, either that or just saying who it is in the first line of the impression.
2: Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Hello. David Essex here. <laughs>
1: Mike Yarwood gives us Larry Grayson, Ted right, if, yeah. yeah, Harold Wilson, yeah. Frankie Howard, Clement Freud, Robin Day, and, interestingly enough, for fans of Paul E. he gives us both her supposed father, Jesse Yates, and her biological father, Huey
2: Green. Well, that's very interesting, because... I only actually got, I think, about four of those right. <laughs> Interesting.
1: I think there were another couple that I went over my head.
2: Um I got Larry Grayson. Yep. And I got Teddy. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We
0: wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And a Tory.
2: Then there was somebody in a Pope hat. Yeah,
1: that's Jesse Yates. They used to right. call him the Bishop.
2: Oh, okay. Right. Well, I didn't... Yeah, I didn't... I wasn't... You know, I had no frame of reference. Interesting. Uh, I got Harold Wilson. I got Ted Heath again. I was a <laughs> bit surprised that it was Ted Heath again. Yeah, it's
1: never, never enough Ted Heath.
2: Yeah, and then Frankie Howard I got. But then I didn't get whoever was after him. Clement Freud. Right, th- I've got that down as... John the Mezzurier. <laughs> well, um, and then after that, who was it? Uh, Robin Day popped
1: up briefly in the sing along.
2: Okay, I've got that down as Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. And then that just you another know. one, which is
1: just don't know. I'm not sure you really know Vincent Price is. <laughs> um,
2: well, he's the he's the, he's the the horror guy.
1: He certainly. Yeah. Okay. Oh, the Dracula guy. You, you know you know who he is, you just don't know. No no, know I know exactly about... who he is. What <laughs> he
2: I, I sounds know exactly... like. Yeah, and what he sounds like, that's why I thought it was him. That's what it sounded like. Well The that's... one that I'm thinking of anyway, I yeah. thought it was Vincent Price. That's
1: damning. But you know, that that was my I was surprised and a little bit disappointed not to get any Cluffy. Yeah. Maybe on, on next year's Christmas night with the stars. You you would have got more cluffy content.
2: I think so, yeah. But the thing is, right? He's not very good, is he? Well, I mean, I, I, he's not. He's not very good. He's not. He. I mean, uh, some I'm, of them are quite. Harold Wilson was quite good. Um,
1: just, I didn't think his Larry Grayson was as good as Dustin G's. No, no, exactly. But that's the, you know, Dustin G was a good impressionist. <laughs> It's not like a black mark against your name if if uh, somebody if Dustin G does a better impression of somebody. Yeah, just was <laughs> very good. So he was a little bit hit and miss, but he was the best in the business at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? And you know, it's it it's not. Christmas night with the people who are actually the best at doing it that you've never heard of it's Christmas night with the stars and I expect stars
3: listen Sally did you get lots of lovely things for Christmas I did I got some lovely presents what did you get well I'll tell you what I got if you tell me what you got Okay. the scent I got from David Frost was super as was the fez I got from Tommy Cooper From Tarbuck and his mates, I got a box of dates. A picture of the Pope came signed from both of us, Jesse I think
2: we should probably address the musical act. Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, I was was just about to say that we needed to discuss the musical acts. The first one was Lulu and the Young Generation, who had an extremely elaborate song and dance act. All done. Well,
2: the thing is, right, this is Lulu. It is Lulu. It's 1972. Do you know how old she is?
1: I do, because I saw you complaining bitterly about it. I believe you were doing it on WhatsApp to me. She's 24. Yeah, I looked it up, and you, you're you quite right. She's 24. <laughs> she looks about 40. Yeah, but 24 is the new 40 in 1972, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, I know that. and But the thing is, she's barely audible. No, that is generation. something that I thought as well. Barely five foot tall, so she's completely swamped by them. And they're all wearing these black shirts with butterflies on them in white. Like a great big butterfly across the yeah. chest in white. And it looks a bit like somebody has started drawing a skeleton <laughs> on it. And they've gone to, kind of got to the bottom of the rib cage and just wandered off or something. Mm. And and so you've got kind of tiny Lulu being swallowed up by these yeah, skeletons. Can't hear her.
1: Can't see her.
2: She's she's too small to put it off. Because that's the thing. Everybody goes on about oh, Lulu. She's got this big big voice. She actually hasn't.
1: Well, yeah.
2: I mean, you know, it, if you listen to shout, the noticeable thing about it is how easily it cracks. She hasn't got a big enough voice for this song, and she hasn't got a big enough stature for this song. She's not physically big enough. Like I say, for the performance, she just gets eaten alive by a hundred skeletons. Some of
1: the dance moves that were on display in that, were I mean, they troubled me. Not because they were you know in any way morally questionable but some of the things that they were doing with their necks and things i hope that they warmed up first
2: well you know there's there's been a lot of talk about dementia in absolutely yes um i'd be interested to to get an up you know an update on the well being of all the members of young young generation because my understanding is that it's that jerking Mm -hmm. movement as much as the impact yeah, of the ball yeah, Yeah, itself it brings the old uh, brain is, uh, to a
1: shuddering halt against the inside of your nut, doesn't
2: it? Yeah, said to be the, what the problem is. But, I mean, the young... And, and the other thing, of course, is that the young generation get invited back on as yeah, well. Yeah, they
1: do um, Burning Love, which is they a song do, that I used to really like.
2: <laughs> it's a song that I love, and it, that is the worst version of it I've ever heard. If ever there was a song... That was not appropriate to be sung by 120 people at the same time, or however many fucking people there are at the young generation. I don't really even understand what the point of the young generation are. Although,
1: do you remember that episode of The Simpsons where Lisa needs orthodontic treatment and the mad dentist brings out the book of the big book of British smiles? Most of those were on display amongst the members of the young generation. I don't know if you spotted that.
2: Mm. Yeah, they were a funny-looking bunch.
1: (laughs) They they Um... they were not picked for their physical appearance, but they were genuinely picked for their prowess at singing and dancing, and I admire
2: that. Yeah,
1: and then, of course... Yeah.
2: There's Scylla.
1: Well, the worst thing with Scylla is that, unlike Lulu and the young generation... After she'd finished singing, we had the whole Scylla and Ronnie Corbett doing a bit about exchanging Christmas presents, and then they do a a duet song about all the Christmas presents they've got from their celebrity friends. And I would like to understand why it is that Scylla has had that courtesy afforded to her when she is obviously dreadful.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the performance in the song... Is there's just nothing good about it. She's wearing a horrible outfit. Yeah. She's got this shrill voice. Teeth! Um, Teeth! It's an, yeah, it's an instantly forgettable yeah, song. Yeah, I've forgotten it. And, the, of course, the thing that everybody knows about Cilla Black... Is that she was hateful. <laughs> um, I've never seen anything like it. But when she died... Social media, after a few hours or a day or two, started to fill up with all these stories of how terrible she treated people that's yeah, interesting that i've never seen anything like it before or since so
1: she was like the anti george michael who she was used yeah, to get yeah, just, used to get pilloried while he was alive, and as soon as he died. Uh, all of a sudden there's this outpouring of a million stories of little generosities that he'd done people. Yeah,
2: basically, yes. yeah. That's, you know, all this stuff. And I think it had been kind of common knowledge for a while. Um, but the fact that people were so just happy to share that stuff, <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> I didn't see any of that. I yeah, I, it was... Um,
2: I should get it together and publish it as a book. She's mutated in, or she's mutating into a light entertainment celebrity away from being a pop star. And this first song that she does, that's the reason why she's not being a pop star anymore. Because by 1972, she is completely off the pace in terms of the quality of songs she's got coming through, in terms of sounding in any way modern. Mm. All the comedy pieces and all the rest of it, That'll be calculated. She had her own show, didn't she? I can't remember whether it was before or after this. That transformation has already started, and I doubt if she even really wanted to be singing. Yeah. I think she'd probably rather yeah, have been just yeah. you know, sitting on a sofa telling someone how great she was.
1: That, that's as may be, but she, she does sing on three separate occasions in this programme.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: The police were victims of a hoax today. It happened on the A1 about two miles from Three Bridges at four o'clock, when five men who were all at sixes and sevens, due to being one over the eight, dialed nine 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 and demanded ten cups of cocoa for their elevenses. A <laughs> the mathematician is helping the police with their inquiry.
1: The other thing that we we've not really touched on, but uh, it's not really an awful lot to say about it. It's just uh, an episode of Dad's Army, really, or, or a little yeah, half a, half
2: an episode of Dad's Army. They they.
1: Doing a recording to be played on Two Absent Friends, the programme that goes out across the Commonwealth on Christmas Day.
0: Hello, soldiers of the Empire. (laughs) I am a home guard
1: commander in charge of a platoon somewhere on the south coast of England. The, The notes that I made on it are all fairly standard. James Beck died the following summer. Right, yeah. 44. He drank himself to death. Arthur Lowe drank himself to death. He was 57 at the time. John Lemez, he drank himself to death. <laughs> he was 60 at the time. Arnold Ridley and John Laurie 75 and 76. Yeah. Which in 1972 is the equivalent of being all of the years old in the entire
3: world. Yeah, is that, that's so, a thing, yeah. isn't it?
1: Fair play. Ian Lavender was 26 and looked young enough to be Lulu's son. Yeah. My only question about the Dad's Army bit, and indeed the Liverbirds bit, is whether or not these things are considered canon.
2: Ooh, that's a good question.
1: If I were somebody... Because I'm a perverse prick. Mm. If I were the writer of one of these big hit programmes that got a bit on Night with the Stars, I would be sure to put... Something really major in there that pertains, you know, it, it pertains to all of the ongoing action when right. the new series starts. Oh,
2: what if they killed one of them off?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd have a death, or I'd have a birth, or something <laughs> that when people came back for the following series, they will be going, "Hang on a minute." What you know? What's happened to Beryl? Did you
2: not di- so, oh, do? Oh,
1: did you not see when Neris Hughes at Beryl? Yeah.
2: Did you not? Did you not see Christmas night with the stars?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, you call yourself idiot, a Liverbirds fan, it, yeah, yeah.
2: There's an interesting perspective to take on it. I don't know. I mean, if if it was written by the original writer, yep, then maybe yeah, I'd be inclined to say yeah, it's canon. Well,
1: there you go. Yeah, I agree. So that's that sorted. Dumb. We figured that one out. No more questions. Your
2: witness, Mallud. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> what was what was your festive highlight? My festive highlight was really how unfestive most of it was, actually. Um, what for, th- considering that it that. was a Christmas Day show? Considering it was a, yeah, this is like prime time Saturday night on Christmas Eve, and. Uh, the silver black bit hasn't got any Christmas in it. Uh, the Lulu bit hasn't got any Christmas in it. The Dad's Army bit, kinda. Uh, the Live at Birds, well, yeah, that's ish.
1: The goodies have got some Christmas.
2: Christmas highlight, uh, bludgeoning a small child. Yeah, my Chris- a, my uh, Christmas
1: highlight was also in the goodies bit. It was when Tim when Tim Brook Taylor brought out an enormous Christmas pudding and it put oh, put a yeah, match yeah. to it and it went up like vesuvius and left basically a little cinder at the bottom of the um, pan the evening of christmas day is the time that i want to hear about christmas the least don't talk to me about christmas i am currently yeah. i'm i'm in a full blown uh gallbladder ad- yeah i'm in a full blown gallbladder attack I've probably got gout. I might have diabetes now. I feel like, shit, someone's going to offer me a drink in a minute and I'm going to say yes, even though I mean no. Yeah. You'd say Christmas to me and I'm going to stab you in the eye with this pickled onion fork. You
2: see, my Christmas will be very different to that because by eight o'clock, shit will just start. i would be like, here, listen to the silence. (laughs) Um, You know, then crack something open. Spark something up, and, uh, and 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 if there's any noise coming from upstairs, drown it out. <laughs> mm. But it is, it's, you know, it's well that's the... that point in the evening. If you have got children, is very different to that point in the evening if you haven't. Oh because yeah, because just... your whole day has been different because you've just been sitting in a chair, eating almonds, <laughs> very very strong cheese, and drinking <laughs> pork Whereas I have been rushing around like a lunatic <laughs> trying to affix differently shaped bits of plastic together, oh, which for some reason require an an Allen key or a fucking Phillips head screwdriver. Yeah. Googling which corner shops are open <laughs> locally because we have, no matter how many batteries I've bought, it is not enough. Never enough. And it is, you know, and, and, and woven into all of that, you've got to do their breakfast lunch oh yeah and cook a christmas dinner god almighty
1: anyway i think that's probably uh christmas night with the stars done uh it sounds like the sort of program that you would probably be quite grateful of nowadays you know sit there in your little fug, floating yeah floating happily yeah. above the the couch no kids screaming, I say,
2: yeah Yeah, I mean, that will be all right. But I I know there's loads of them on YouTube, so I can just go back and watch all the old ones on Christmas Day if I want to. Actually, my biggest concern about Christmas Day is that I will spend the evening just watching YouTube videos.
1: I'm interested to see whether or not this works out. I I kind of hope it does, but at the same time, I kind of hope there's a sitcom-like twist.
2: By the evening, I will have earned that rest, I can absolutely assure you. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? We're done yeah. for this. Tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. This
1: is the one that has been hanging over me, certainly. Like a some sort of hideous sword of Damocles.
2: It wasn't until I started to watch it that I realised what it was going to be like. You're an idiot. We'll, we'll, we'll go into this tomorrow because it's morning worship from Christmas Day, 1993. There you go. But anyway, that's enough of that. We'll be back again tomorrow, live from church. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.